Um, the book of Acts, chapter 21. We were walking our way through the book of Acts back in the spring semester, and we took a break from the book of Acts to be in the Psalms for the summer. But tonight, we return back to this early Christian narrative, the book of Acts. Um, and I want to invite you to be there in verse 21. I mean, sorry, chapter 21. Um, I'm about to turn the lights on that are up there, and it's going to make an alarm sound, but nobody freak out, okay? There we go. It's a little cooler if they're off, but I can't see my Bible. And it's our custom to pair uh, a reading here from the book of Acts with an opposite testament reading. And Brad Holker is going to read for us from the book of Isaiah. So Brad, you can come on up. Uh, from Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 10. But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, whom, you took, whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And from the book of Acts, chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there... To Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul, not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another, then went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, 
but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask in this moment that you, by the power of your spirit, would do the thing that only you can do. And that is to take these words that are in your word, Lord, to take the words that I have prepared, Lord, and in your kindness to use them to great effect in our hearts and in our souls in such a way that it would stir in us great hope in our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In the summer of 2002, I was a sophomore in college, soon to be a junior in college, and the church that I belonged to at the time um, had a mission trip happening for teenagers, and they needed one more leader to go on this trip because someone had to cancel. Um, The trip was to El Salvador. Um, They were looking for someone who at least had some familiarity with with Spanish. And I fit that description loosely. (laughs) But I agreed to go, and I made plans to be there to travel with that group. And my itinerary was to travel a few days earlier than the group to to show up in El Salvador to prepare the way in some ways for the group that would come. And about, I don't know, 12 or so hours before I was to take off on my flight, my 6 a.m. flight out of Birmingham that then went to Miami, that then went to San Salvador, about 12 hours before 6, 7 p.m. in the evening, the missionary couple that were planning to meet me at the airport called and said that there's been a weather issue and a mudslide that has closed the road, and therefore um, they would not be able to pick me up at the airport. And they just wanted me to know that. And I decided to go on instead. And this is before the iPhone, by the way, to where information and travel is accessible in your hand, to where you are, by the way, in a foreign country and can still just do everything on your phone. Back in those days, it didn't really work that way. But I did go to Barnes & Noble the night before at the summit, and I picked up the Lonely Planet Guide, recently put out, 2003. To addition for El Salvador. I fly into El Salvador. My experience in other Latin American cities is there's always like a central part of the main city. There's usually a park or a square or a plaza of some kind. There's usually a cathedral of some kind right there at that plaza. And my experience in other Latin American cities is if you can just get to the centro, the center of the city, then you can begin to figure out everything you need to know. 
So I take a bus to this park that sits at the center of the city. I sit down on a park bench. I open my guide. And one of the first things that comes up is safety in El Salvador. Um, there was quite a bit of problems in El Salvador 20 plus years ago. And it's safety in El Salvador, and it talks about the traveler traveling alone in particular areas of the city that that traveler would want to avoid. It, it mentions a place called the Plaza Civitas, and it mentions especially the area directly across from the National Cathedral. I'm reading my guidebook. And I slowly, as if in a movie, look up and realize that was exactly where I was sitting. Now, let me give you a little thought experiment. Let's say before I received that, or before that moment happened and I read those words and I kind of received the warning, let's say before any of that happened, I would have been given a vision from the Holy Spirit that trouble would await me if I went to that particular park. Would I have gone? And the answer is obviously not, because I'm not stupid, right? Well, I tell you that because in our passage for tonight, the Apostle Paul is on what will be the final leg of his journey. His journey of completing the mission that Christ, the risen Christ, had given him. To preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He is beginning his final leg of that journey. A leg that will lead him home. And he is given a vision from the Holy Spirit of what will happen to him if he goes back to Jerusalem. It's a vision, and it's given in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God reveals to him the trouble and the hardship that will await him if he goes to that place, and the Apostle Paul goes there anyway. See, tonight's sermon is about hardship, particularly the hardship that we encounter when we're following Jesus into the things he calls us to. See, there are people here tonight that feel called to certain things, certain ministries, certain relationships, to a church family, to different ways to serve that church family. Perhaps it's something within your job or vocation that you feel called to. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is breathing inside of you. And you've been sent out on his mission as a missionary to those places. Whether they are far, like people in our body have prepared to go. Perhaps they're very, very, very close. And this sermon is about the kind of hardships that come when we follow Jesus. 
And here's the main thing I want you to hear tonight. If you don't hear anything else I say, this is what I hope you hear. Hope you strain through the buzzing fan noise and through the heat to hear this really simple truth. Our Lord Jesus provides for us the endurance we need to follow him. Sometimes when we follow Jesus, certain things cannot be avoided. But our Lord Jesus provides the endurance necessary in those places. So let's take a look together at this brief story with the few minutes that we have together. Look with me at verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. In this section of the book of Acts, we're going to get something of a travel log. We're going to get a travel diary. You keep hearing the word we, we did this, we did this. That's because the author, Luke, is telling us about their travel. But this travel diary is not one that tells you the greatest restaurants or um, the beautiful sparkle of the Aegean Sea. Instead, it talks and it will tell you about the hardships that Paul and his companions will endure. And right now, we're told they are setting sail. They're on their way back from preaching the gospel. They're coming back across the Mediterranean Sea, and they're coming on their way back to Jerusalem. This is a travel log. Look at verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. See, they land at a place called Tyre. They've made it back, back to Palestine. This is a coastal community in modern-day Israel. They, they land there. They stay with believers for a full week. And look with me at verse 4. And through the Spirit, through the Spirit, from the wisdom of God's Holy Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. This is Luke's way of building the drama of this story a little bit. Paul has his face set to go to Jerusalem. He's, we're told in chapter 20 of Acts that he's compelled to go there. He's got to get back to Jerusalem. He's setting sail for Jerusalem, and he's being begged, in verse 4, not to go. Why? Let's keep reading if you look with me down to verse 8. On the, next, on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. They're on foot now or on horseback now. They're no longer on the ocean. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Remember in the book of Acts, when the Spirit is poured out, Scriptures tell us that both old men and young men will see visions. Both men and women shall prophesy. So Philip has four unmarried daughters who were given the gift of prophecy. But in verse 10, we meet another prophet, and his name is Agabus. Verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. 
And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and his own hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Agabus, the prophet, in classic Old Testament prophet form, announces a dramatic prophecy. See, sometimes we tend to think that the prophets in the Old Testament simply wrote things that got sent like a, like a letter to kings and rulers. Or sometimes we tend to think that they only preached with their mouth. But the prophets in the Old Testament will often, will often as part of their prophetic work, do symbolic acts. So, for example, the prophet Isaiah is called to strip down naked and, and barefoot and to walk around for, ready, three years as a sign of the kind of stripping bare that would happen to God's people when they're taken into the exile. The book of Ezekiel gets even crazier. Ezekiel, at one point, as a prophetic act, lays on his side for the amount of times that Israel would be in exile. And then he turns and he lays on his side for another amount of days that Israel would be in exile. The prophet Ezekiel one time had a map of Jerusalem drawn in stone and then just busted it as a sign of God's judgment that was coming. One time Ezekiel packed some bags, knocked a hole in a wall, and walked through it as a sign that exile was coming. The whole point Luke, the author, is, is connecting Agabus's work with this kind of prophetic tradition of Israel. And what Agabus does is he grabs Paul's belt. He takes Paul's belt off of him. And he, this time in the ancient world, men would have wore something like a robe and like a belt was tied around it. He takes Paul's belt. He binds his own hands and his own feet, which would have been hard to do. And he announced this right here. This is what will happen to the man who owns this belt. In other words, he is saying in the power of the Holy Spirit that if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he will be arrested and bound. Look at the reaction of the people in the room. Verse 12, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him. We urged him, we begged him, we implored him, we asked him, Paul, don't go up to Jerusalem. Don't go. Like, Paul, I know you feel compelled to go there, but the Spirit just gave us a vision of what will happen. Don't go. It's forceful. It's pleading. It's emotional. It's relational. Don't go. Don't go. I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine this. Imagine if the Spirit is stirring in your heart and soul and compelling you to some sort of way of following Him. Perhaps He births in you a vision for a particular way you could serve your neighborhood. Perhaps He births within you a vision of a particular way that you could serve your church family, your kids' school, your roommates, people at your work. 
Imagine if it's crystal clear from God's Spirit that you are to walk into following Him in a particularly great way, and then if the same Spirit of God then revealed to you that that would not go well for you, what would you do? What would you think? What would you assume? I'll speak for me. I would assume I got the vision wrong. I would assume that now the Lord is redirecting me to now not do it. See, I live from an assumption that I'm going to do great things for God. As long as those great things for God, I don't know what the word is, go smoothly for me. Nine times out of ten, and when I pray, I ask God to please just let it go good for me. I remember when Mandy and I were trying to discern the call to plant what became Grace Fellowship. In God's providence, in the Holy Spirit's kindness. Mandy and I were in Texas at a wedding, and I was due to give Redeemer Community Church an answer whether or not I wanted to take up this call the following week. We were in Texas for a wedding. I've told you guys this story before, but two friends of ours, Danny and Lindsay, had just been involved in planning a church over the previous couple years, and the following Sunday, their church was going to close. And I'll never forget, as long as I live, Danny and Lindsay talking to us that night and simply saying, as we were trying to discern this call, I remember Danny saying, Joel, just remember, Christ calling you to something and that thing going well for you are not connected. And I had the reaction that many of you just had. I heard him say that. I stared blankly, and I looked my eyes away. I remember one particular Sunday in the process of Grace Fellowship, being Grace Fellowship. I remember one particular Sunday, a particularly difficult season in the life of our church, and I remember... I was outside, I'm, I'm preaching from the book of Philippians, and it is pouring down rain, because at that time we were having our worship services outside. The notes that I prepared had now bled. I can't tell anything. My Bible is soaked and wet, and I feel so unbelievably embarrassed. And while preaching the book of Philippians, while all this rain and thunder and lightning comes, some of you can chuckle because we can laugh about it now, Right? I remember in that moment saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't think I signed up to do this. And the Lord said back to me in a more loud voice than an out loud voice, if you know what I mean. I felt the Lord say back to me, I think you did. To which I said back to the Lord, you're right. And then we moved on.
See, where things can't be avoided, it's those places that the Lord grants endurance. Let's listen to how Paul responds. Verse 12, when we heard this, we said, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, then let the will of the Lord be done. Paul answers in two ways. First of all, he says, you're breaking my heart. Literally, you're pounding on my emotions. He's not scolding them and saying that. He's simply saying, I understand the gravity and the pain relationally that this is causing between us and causing in me. In other words, for Paul, he felt the pain of it very, very deeply. He also answers that he was ready. And the group answers, well, then let the will of the Lord be done. And I remember earlier this week as I was reading this and I listened to Paul's response, at the moment in which they urge him not to go, I want to yell and say, Paul, this is your moment. You've done enough. You've been lashed. You've been whipped. You've been in prison. There's been earthquakes in that prison. People have plotted against your life. People have publicly ridiculed you. You were doing fine before you met Jesus. And you've endured so much for the sake of his name. This is it. This is your moment. You don't have to go. But Paul says it's painful for him, but he's ready. And the question of tonight is simply how. How is it that that is Paul's response? And the simplest way to answer that question, Paul responds this way because of the Lord Jesus. You see, there was, there was someone else. There was someone else at, at one point in the book of Luke chapter 9. There was someone else who set his face to go to Jerusalem. That was Jesus. There's this someone, this someone else, who also knew what was coming in that act of obedience, but decided to go anyway. That was Jesus. There was someone who had a moment when the very obvious, painful difficulties of his calling were put right in front of him. And there was someone else who, in a garden called Gethsemane, prayed and said, let your will be done. But he did not say that before he had said, if there is any way for this to pass from me, please, Father, please. In other words, he feels the pain of it deeply, but by the power of the Spirit, our Lord Jesus has the same kind of resolve. And see, it's the Lord Jesus who grants to Paul endurance. 
See, it's the Lord Jesus who will be with Paul every step along the way. It's the Holy Spirit of God who will be guiding him and strengthening him in the remainder of this travel log. See, it'll be the Lord Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, who leads Paul all the way home to finish his mission and to finish his race. When difficult things cannot be avoided in the call of Christ, Christ Jesus himself grants to Paul endurance. And the same promise is available and is there for you. Let's pray together.